escuchas ese rugido, sientes la experiencia de poder, la emoción de la libertad, ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Next edition of The Probe. So last week, President Akofado gave love gifts on Valentine's Day to many of his appointees and party members. Others did not get the gifts they were looking for. But they, that reshuffle has generated a lot of talk and we do same this coming week as we assign ministers find their feet while the vetting committee also prepares uh, to vet the others. The reactions have been multifaceted, and my colleague Blazard Suga caught up with the president in Ethiopia, and he explains briefly that he did this for Ghanaians and not for himself. Tonight, we get to unpack the implications and key considerations, plus how effective these ministers and their deputies, especially the new ones, will be with just 10 months to end of the tenure of President Akofado. Well, a quick run through the appointments. I'm sure if you missed any, maybe we'll do it for one last time again as you get acquainted um, to it. So we know that 19 ministers and deputies were sacked. 15 ministers and deputies who are MPs were also sacked. We know that six ministers and deputies were reassigned and five female appointments in all. Already I've heard um, the female activists talking about this. And it took 466 days for Kenno Furiata to be removed after several protests. We know that that's like a year, almost close to two years before that. Well, the number of ministers that we've seen, at least uh, with recent, uh, uh, um, you know, president. Akufado's first term, we had 126. and his second term, 86. After the reshuffle, Mark talk about reshuffle is still 86. Um, former President Mahama during his campaign has already talked about proposing 60 ministers and just um, in Baumia's vision, outlining his vision also, he mentioned that he will go with 50. Now, um, going on, um, yeah, we'll go on to the next slide. And the ministries, we know that the finance minister, Ken Ophirata, is out. Mohamed Amin Adam is in. With the health, Kwekwajiman Menu out. Dr. Bernard Okoboy in. Ambrose Derry, interior minister, he's been trending this week. He is out. Henry Korte is in. And we told him Ambrose Derry is going to become minister of state at the presidency. Information minister, Kujo Ponkuma, is out. Fatima to Abubakar is in. And then we know that in environment, Dr. Kwekwe Friye is out and already there's talk about why there's nobody in from the Western North in the Ophelia Mensa takes his position. Roads and Highways Minister Kwesia Mwakwata, we are told based on health grounds, is out. Francis Asensu Bwache is going there. Works and Housing Ministry and Francis, you've seen there, was there now. Kojo Oponkroma is taking over. He's my guest tonight. And the Gender Ministry, Laeba Abudu, lost the primaries and um, contestuous, um, you know, primaries there. I know they are in court on that matter that Kwan Newman is taking over. And then moving on, uh, we go to the local government ministry. Dan Kwekuboche is out. We are told he may be taking up a party position in terms of campaign for Dr. Mahmoud Baumia. Martin E.J. Mensakosa, his deputy, takes over. Sanitation, Frida Premper, lost primary. She's out. Lydia Seriamalastan is in. Goes on and on. Henry Quarter, the Greater Accra Regional Minister, will be replaced by Titus Glover. Uh, Joseph Makubu uh, is now uh, being replaced by Daniel Machato in the LT region. So before the reshuffle, in terms of female representations, ministers and their deputies, six out of 86 ministers. That's what it looks like. After the reshuffle, we've lost one person. There's 15 out of 86 ministers. Only 15 
females as ministers and deputies in the Kufuado administration. And we know that deputy ministers that lost their primaries during the NPP uh, parliamentary primaries, They've, those who have been replaced, Tina Mensah is out, Adelaide Intim is in, and Mohamed Asay Saini. It looks like the two deputies at the health ministry have all lost, they have all been removed. And Alexander Kwesiakwa is there. Deputy Education Minister Gifty Chum uh, Ampofo, Kinsley Nyako takes over, Amma Pumabuating, Charles Echampong uh, takes over from her, uh, the communications. And then local government, Collins and Tima Buaji out, Vincent Eko Asifwa um, comes in there. Bright Recruit Brobe, Employment and Labor Relations out, and Festus Iwakofi takes over. Moses Enim for Fisheries and Aquaculture, Musa Abdulaziz Ayaba um, takes over. Now, Ophelia Mensa, uh, the new faces that we are seeing, Ophelia Mensa, Dakwa Newman, Lydia Sayama Malastan, Daniel Machato, been talking about them. Vincent Asifwa, Titus Glover, Sylvester Mensa, head to deputy as information minister. And the reassigned. This is already generating some talk in Parliament before um, they ended last week. Concerns about why they've been reassigned because the earlier communication mentioned that they had been relieved of their positions, then they've been reassigned. So the concerns are why are they not going through the vetting? Because the president's statement mentioned that they are taking immediate effect to start working. So these are um, the ministers, Amin Adam, Kujo, Ponkuma, Fansas, and Subwache. So these are the names um, that are generating that controversy that we'll be looking at. And we know Fatima to Abubakar, at least they will be vetted. Martin and James, of course, are they are taking over the substantive position. But let's take a look at some of the reactions that have been coming in so far. Yeah, if we could move. And these are the breakdown. That's the regional representations, at least. The Ashanti, um, four of them, and uh, also the Greater Krari. So this is how it looks like, with the rest sharing one, one, one each. So uh, we move on um, to the next one. These are the reactions that have been pouring in this week, uh, largely concerns about a little too late and also uh, that news that we are getting that Ken Ufriata may now be serving as the president's special envoy. There's been no communication to that effect, but the rumor mill um, talks about that. We'll be finding out, and then also the reactions that have been coming in. There are two central questions emerging from this reshuffle. Why now, and what difference will it make? Politically, if this had been done a year or two ago, it may have allowed the administration to win back some of the good graces it once enjoyed at a high level from um, Ghanaians. That's John Kwapong there. We've also had Ali Dusedu also talking about it. And then also it looks like um, generally the concern is that a little too late. Kojo Pumpuniasante, the questions to ask are why now and what is the added governance value of the reshuffle? Uh, Professor Diajiman also has been talking about the fact that it's a little too late and what impact it will make. Well, my guest tonight is the Wets and Housing Minister. Now, that will take a while to get used to because it's for the longest time we've been referring to him as the Information Minister. Kojo Pronkuma, the Ofwasi Ayuribi MP, is my guest. We are live on the Joy News Channel, also on Joy 99.7 FM. We're on myjoyonline.com. I am MFA Apau, and this is The Probe. Please do stay with me. You're welcome back to the probe here on the Joy News Channel. The Works and Housing Minister, Kujo Ponkuma, my guest, via Zoom tonight. Welcome, and thank you so much for your time here on the probe. Good evening to you. I was hoping to see you in the studio, but I know um, other duties have taken you away. Well, um, um, how are you doing? I, I hope all is well. It's been quite a while. Yeah, it's been a minute. Um, I'm okay. Um, I think we're gearing up uh, to start uh, a new challenge from tomorrow morning at the Ministry of Works and Housing. Um, and I know many of my other colleagues are also, I haven't gone through the handing of uh, notes and processes in the last three, four days, uh, uh, now getting ready to kickstart work fully on Monday morning. 
Well, um, the bit about kick-starting work on Monday morning is uh, one of the issues that came up in Parliament last week, at least, before uh, the end of last week's uh, meeting. The concern was about the fact that we had that communication that said most of you had been reassigned, at least a number of you, had been relieved of your position first, and then we saw a reassignment. And the minority, at least, I started raising concerns about the fact that it looks like you have to be vetted before you can take over the position, in, in spite of the the fact that the statement mentioned your positions or reassignments takes immediate effect. You are a lawyer too. Maybe you can give us some interpretation to that. Minority rights in that regard? Well, but I think this is a matter that the Supreme Court has had the opportunity to make a pronouncement on uh, in years gone by. Uh, that um, there's a meaning, there's a legal meaning of prior approval. Um, and when a person is a minister or a deputy minister and has received prior approval, um, from Parliament and is reassigned, uh, that person is not required to go through um, another vetting exercise because during that tenure of that Parliament, he has been approved, he has received prior approval to act as a Minister of State responsible for a particular portfolio um, or as a Deputy Minister of State. In fact, you will recall that when I was Information Minister, I used to use the expression Minister Responsible For instead of Minister Of. And people thought we were being petty. Words have meanings. You are first a minister of state, mm -hmm. and then you are responsible for a particular portfolio. So when parliament vets you, they vet you to qualify as a minister of state. And the president will now give you responsibility for a particular portfolio. The president can at any point in time assign you to another portfolio. But you are still minister responsible now for a new portfolio. And you don't need to go through vetting um, exercise. In fact, for those who are familiar with our Fourth Republican constitutional history, there used to be a time where we had what we call ministers without portfolio. So they had been vetted, approved, sworn in as ministers of state, but they did not have a specific portfolio. Today, they prefer to call them a minister of state at the office of the president, which means that at any point in time, the president can assign him or her to undertake some functions. Mm. So this is a matter that the Supreme Court has settled. But, but this, is quite, this is quite different, Kojo, because we saw that the first communication was that you had been relieved of your positions and before the reassignment communication also came. Isn't that where the confusion is coming from? Because if you've so been relieved of your position... Go, mm -hmm. Yeah, for those who want to now go on that leg, one of the first rules in law, in interpretation, is that when you are reading a document, you read the document as a whole. You don't read one chapter and go to bed. That that's a conclusion. You read the document as a whole. It's one of the first rules of interpretation. When you read the document as a whole, you cannot be left in any doubt that the intent of the president clearly was to reassign these persons to another portfolio. In any case, what they are referring to, I think, is the um, press statement that was issued by the um, director of communications at the office of the president to exactly. inform the public. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's what they are referring to. If they go that route, there's a legal question you have to answer. What is the legal effect of a press statement? Mm -hmm. And what is the legal effect of the um, uh, um, appointment warrant that the president gives you? Mm -hmm. And the reassignment warrant that the president gives you? I mean, I honestly think that it's, uh, it's one of those political exercises that will just excite everybody. But it's a matter that the Supreme Court has settled long past what we are looking forward to is getting to work from tomorrow and serving the Republic. Mm, so for you, there's no case there really 
uh, with the concerns that Nelson Rocks and the, the Pharmaco has been raising? My very good friend Nelson, I think, is wrong once again on this. Okay. Well, but you've read, seen, and heard the reactions. It's been multifaceted in terms of the timing. Some say it's a little too late. Much ado about nothing, amongst others. And we'll talk about the specifics. But really, generally, how have you received this kind of reaction, especially from civil society, Ghanaians, and the opposition in general, about this particular reshuffle? One thing we should try to move away from in this country is when something happens and we talk to a select group of people and try to interpret the view of that select group of people as the view of the entire country. Respectfully, I don't think that that is accurate. Uh, the views have been varied, like you rightly said. There are those who are not impressed. And then there are those who are um, shocked um, from a political point of view. And then there are those who are you know, impressed that within the time available, it is very possible for the ministers who've been reassigned and the new persons who've been nominated mm-hmm. um, to get some work done. If you come to the information ministry, where I used to be, the average life of an information minister used to be one year in a few months. Um, with the greatest of respect, I have served as the longest-serving information minister. And in one year and a few months, all of these people who were there as information minister did many interesting, exciting things that they are remembered for. Why is it, therefore, that somebody assumes that in one year or what is left of a year, ministers who are going into various um, portfolios will not be able to um, do much? I think that we should rather give them the support and the um, opportunity to deliver on the specific instructions the president has given them uh, uh, in the places where they are going. Mm. The president has not said that they should go and restart everything afresh. In my case, for example, the mm-hmm. president asked me to focus on three things. And within the nine or ten months that we're, we have avail- you know, available, that's what my attention is going to be on. And I think that if you look at the, the task that the president has assigned people mm-hmm. for this limited period, uh, some good work can be done. So what's your specific task? The three things that the president asked you to to take or look at when you go to the Ministry of Works and Housing? Uh, he's asked me to focus on the drainage challenges that um, cause floods occasionally if they are not properly attended to. Mm-hmm. He's asked me to look at housing associated with the agenda worldwide project. And then he's also asked me uh, to look at how quickly we can bring some resolution to the cycle matter. Okay. Well, these are issues that we'll be going into. But really, um, in terms of the changes and the reshuffle and the appointment, is that all or there could be more changes? Do we know? You never know. You never know. Um, I, can't, I can't read the president's mind. Um, when I used to be information minister, my job was to assist the presidency to execute his communication. So as and when the president would invite me in and inform me that this is what he was doing, and this was the rationale. Then I could explain it. But I couldn't, you know, read his mind and imagine what he was going to do next. Mm. Um, I, 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 I can't think if I can do that now, I doubt. So yeah. we'll have to wait to see. Well, but do we know if um, Ken Oferieta is the senior presidential advisor? At least as part of the communication that came, after the reactions amongst others, we heard that he's been reassigned, even though we're told that he's been sacked, that he's now the senior presidential advisor. You have your ears and eyes in the corridors of power, at least, um, as we know. Is there any such appointment? No information on that matter. No information at all? None whatsoever. Okay. Well, but let's talk about, um, you know, the regional balance. The issues about regional balance also came up in terms of, we had something here, at least, we we're trying to deal with all the major reactions that came in after uh, this particular reshuffle. He talks about Western North. 
not having any representation. The only appointment that or the person that had been appointed has been removed. That's the Environment Minister, Mr. Ifriye. And he has concerns with it. He raises constitutional um, concerns about the fact that there's no representation for the Western North. What do you say to that? I mean, two things. Number one, I do not know if the president is done with this uh, entire shuffling of his government, as Mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, But number two, in times past, you would find that occasionally the the, the subject of regional balance sometimes is not 100%. There are occasionally some gaps here and there. Um, But we wait to see how a matter like that will be resolved by the president. I know that uh, regional balance was one of the things that the president was focusing on when he was doing the shuffling. And as I cannot tell whether or not he is done, we wait to see how he will handle it. Kolo, are you relieved that you are no longer the spokesperson for the government? I continue to speak for government. Um, first, as Minister for Works and Housing. Mm-hmm. I but will specifically to Works and Housing, and not the entire yeah. government. And I'll explain that shortly. Okay. I will continue to play lead when it comes to speaking on the administration's policies and programs on Works and Housing. In fact, when it comes to speaking for government, the first person responsible for speaking for government is a minister responsible for any sector. Mm-hmm. It's really not the information minister's job to be speaking for everybody. Mm-hmm. Every minister is responsible for articulating the policies and programs in their sector. The job of the information ministry or the information minister is to assist, and that's why earlier when I was speaking, the you know, speaking about the presidency, I said to assist. Mm-hmm. The job of the information ministry, if you look at our five-part mandate that we operated with um, when I used to be Minister for Information, is to assist the ministries, departments, and agencies to design and execute their communication programs. So, you know, um, the ministry is doing something. They invite you in. You assist with them. I mean, you assist them to design their communication program and to execute it. You are not necessarily responsible for speaking for them. Occasionally, you may back up, you know, some of the various ministries, especially if you are somebody who is very accessible to the media. And because of my history being a journalist for all of these years, you, my colleagues, will call me in the middle of the night and ask me if you were having, you know, having difficulties reaching somebody. And I would, you know, oblige and speak. But that was really not the job description. Um, today, I have been moved to go and attend to something. Of course, I'll miss some parts of my previous job, as I miss some parts of my job at, uh, you know, the multimedia group. A job that you've done for about uh, seven years, you will miss some parts of it. But I look forward to the new challenge that I'm uh, taking up, and I have a lot of confidence. I share the president's confidence in um, Fatima to Abubakar, the Minister of Information Designate, and I think she'll do a stellar job. Mm, you are very confident in her ability to take over the mantle from you. 100%. You know, when, when, when I was information minister, I assigned her the role of managing um, our first mandate, which was leading in the assistance of ministries, departments, and agencies. And she did an excellent job, an excellent job. There will be times, and if she will tell you, there will be times where she herself would even, you know, wonder whether it was appropriate for her to do some things. And I you know, gladly tell her that, my dear, go for it, make it happen. So I have a lot of confidence in her. I'm excited that the president um, uh, chose her to uh, replace me. Uh, she's, she's very much aware of all the work that we have done. Uh, I know that there are some parts of it that she will continue with, 
And I expect that there may be some parts that she will differ. Already, you know, if I may say, in her vision, she differs with me on some things, and that's perfectly normal, and I respect uh, how she will execute even where she differs. But the time that we put out this flyer that um, Kojo is the one that we're going to be hosting tonight, there was a lot of talk about the fact that Kojo has gone quiet, went quiet for a very long time. And the interpretation people put to, to it is that maybe it's because it was difficult defending the government because of some of the ills and some of the things that had happened over the period. It looks like you had a very tough job. Really, was that the reason why you went quiet? Was it difficult defending the government? It became so difficult? Um. Working in government communications is a challenging enterprise, no doubt about that. But I think people confuse the work I did during COVID and the beginnings of the economic challenges, which was an exception. People confuse it for the norm. So let me give you a bit of history. When I became information minister, in delivering our first part of the mandate, which is assisting the ministers, departments, and agencies to design and execute their communication, we set up a world-class press center, built a press pool, and we introduced what we call the minister's press briefings, which we were doing on Sundays uh, at 1 p.m. Mm -hmm. and then on Wednesdays. It was to give us an opportunity to uh, provide a platform for the ministers to come forward and speak about their matters. And occasionally where there were matters that um, uh, um, the government required the Ministry of Information to put out um, some information will do it. And you recall any time I did that, I would say to you that mm -hmm. the Akufuado administration says so. Now, when COVID came, a lot of um, uh, 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 pressure was put on us because then we had to, about three times a week, be engaging the country. And then the president will do the national address on Sunday nights. And then we'll come back Tuesdays, Thursdays, and uh, Fridays to you know, answer questions with Ghana Health Service and everybody. And a lot of people thought that that's a no. Okay. When COVID ended and the president, uh, uh, um, may I say, uh, toned down on the COVID program, you didn't see me out there on a daily basis having to do that. When the second shock came, which was the economic crisis that followed COVID, again, I had to be at the forefront speaking to the... Um, efforts that the administration was trying to roll out um, and assisting the minister responsible for finance, particularly on the IMF communications. And I recall I'll be at the IMF and the negotiations and you will call me on Zoom to uh, speak and explain. When we had finished and tied down, in fact, it went so far that I'd appointed parliament calling me the minister for IMF. By the time we were done and we were not at that forefront of that regular um, exercise, um, all that we could now do was to assist ministries, departments, and agencies to do their communications. And so then we came back to the norm. And I think people look at that and say, oh, we're not seeing the regular press briefings uh, uh, anymore. Mm. Those regular briefings, one, are for the ministers themselves to come and speak to their matters, unless there's something that the administration wants um, uh, uh, put forward. Okay. There are those who thought that uh, that silence may have perhaps almost cost you your primaries. No, because my primaries were uh, pretty straightforward. Um, I'm not sure you heard us have quivers about it in any way. Mm -hmm. We're clear in mind um, what our opposition on the ground was and what we needed to do to win, and we did. Okay.
But how would you say the information ministry treated you as the longest serving information minister? Uh-huh. Um, fairly, fairly. There are challenges at the ministry, and I very much hope that mm-hmm. those challenges will be resolved for um, the Honorable Fatima Tokubakari so that um, she can continue and even improve on what we did. One of the major challenges is funding for the ministry. I have gone on the record as saying that for the year 2024, there is zero budget for government communications at the information ministry. And if that is not rectified, she would have a tough time, um, you know, executing any communication programs. Mm. Um, government is doing a lot of work across the country, but you need to put money on the table to get airtime at multimedia to showcase what you have done. Zero Ghana cities cannot do that. Mm. Um, the goods and service budget for running the ministry this year is 4 million Ghana cities. The cost alone is about 6 million Ghana cities. That's inadequate to run the ministry. So the funding challenge, for example, is one that um, needs to be addressed so that the ministry can, can, can function effectively. When I was a minister, I had to raise a lot of resources from outside, um, you know, fall on various uh, instruments to try and get in resources to deliver on the Monday. But I think it's something that should be resolved. Uh, I've already committed to her that I will continue to be uh, by her side to fight with her so that the ministry is given the necessary resources to function. That's one. The other challenge is that you only assist other ministries, departments, and agencies. So if a ministry or a department or an agency doesn't want you to assist them, there's nothing you can do as information minister. So let's say you're information minister, you're sitting in your office and you see a government project being launched on television, but nobody has briefed you about it. Nobody has shared with you why they are doing this, how many people are affected, how it's affecting people. And you are scrambling to get the information yourself. Mm-hmm. There's very little that you can do. It has improved, but it, con- you know, it needs to improve continuously. The cooperation with the ministry needs to improve so that um, the ministry can deliver on its uh, mandate there. I think the Latin maxim is and then that's not called habit. You can't give what you don't have. So if you don't have the information, you can't help to shape the communications around it and make it available. The third thing, which I think is a challenge, um, is that a lot of people don't understand that you are like a lawyer in the court of public opinion. Mm-hmm. And as a lawyer, the first rule is that your client must brief you. And then you can rise up in court and advocate on their behalf based on the brief. So if you recall, every time I spoke as information minister, I often say that the brief as I have it is that so and so and so. In fact, I call, I mean, I recall um, Evan Spencer even sometimes um, reiterating that that's the brief that he has. Mm-hmm. I think when people don't understand that part of the work, they tend to think that um, maybe you are being cagey or you don't want to provide the information or you are telling an untruth or something. But if that is a brief that you have, it's the brief that you have. I'll give you an example. The Canadian girls kidnapped in the Ashanti region. Yeah. We worked with national security overnight. And they gave us updates. They gave us a brief at dawn. We issued a statement. We said Ghanaian security agencies had been the ones totally involved in it and had dealt with it. Somebody sits in his radio station or in his TV station and says, it's not true, it's not true, it's not true. I have information that, you know, some people came from Canada or FBI or CIA and spreads that to create an impression that 
the brief that you have, which you have shared, is incorrect. So there's always an effort to undermine the work that you do. But you have to keep your focus. And when you have a brief, either invite the minister to come and share his brief, or if you are required to share that brief, caveat it clearly by making the point that the brief as I have it is that there's going to be a lockdown or there's not going to be a lockdown or so or so. It's not my saying, it's not my manufacturing. That's the brief as I have it. And I'm sure that if people get a better understanding, if we better resource the ministry, if there's more collaboration with the various ministries, departments, and agencies, um, Fatih and her team will do an excellent job. I have every confidence. Well, you sound like a happy man leaving the information ministry off to the works and housing. <laughs> I am a happy man to serve the people of Ophelia, to serve in any capacity that the president assigns me. Mm. Well, let's take a look at um, some of the legacy. You've been talking about the challenges also, but um, I'm sure most of your colleagues, and this will be the first time you're hearing this um, kind of critique that um, knowing that you are a former, should I say, still a journalist, once a journalist, always will be, but the fact that you were one of us at some point and then you became information minister, it appears your loyalty was mostly towards your employer rather than your colleagues to seek their welfare and their interest in terms of, one, their safety, for instance, to start with? To the contrary, there's no information minister of our republic on record who will go out there and call out attacks on journalists, even when it is perpetrated by people of his own party, and report to the police and bring the police to a public forum to come and account for how they've dealt with. I, as information minister, championed the subject of um, fighting for the safety of journalists. It was on my watch that we introduced the coordinated mechanism for the safety of journalists mm -hmm. and brought the National Media Commission, GIPA, NMC, Primpa to the table, police and judicial service to the table, and fashioned out a framework where implementation should take place. It was on my watch that I went to cabinet to get cabinet approval and funding for it, and we gave it to the NMC to execute. When we started executing it, I am the minister who issued statements to say that we have received a report of an alleged attack here. We've reported it to the police. We want the police to follow. And if the police would tell you, and I think they said it publicly at the public forum we had last year to account for this. At the end of the year, we write to them that we reported 14 cases to you. Come and give us an update on how you have uh, prosecuted uh, these people. And we wrote saying to the chief justice's office, she sent uh, superior court judge to join us to account for it. And so I think that if you look at the facts, on my watch as information minister, yes, there continue to be um, um, attacks on journalists, but we have fought strongly. We have supported the Ghana Journalist Association even in announcing um, blackouts of persons that they believe have been involved in the attack of journalists, except that we have argued that the threshold for announcing that blackout must not be capricious. It must be mm -hmm. well stated and known. So that is not because one person wants to mischievously use that as an instrument. Yeah. So on the subject of the safety of journalists, I think our voice has been very loud enough. I know Fatih will continue with it. I have gone to Parliament to ask Parliament to support us in getting the NMC better resourced so that they can do what they have to do and not rather be fighting the media. And um, I think history will be the best judge um, as, 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 as time goes by. We've had times when um, senior government officials have seized cameras and recordings from journalists and haven't even bothered to offer an apology or something. But I watch, we try to do our best for, even, in, even including advocating for increased salaries 
for journalists. I was getting there. Um, At least for my colleagues in, in the state media, amongst others, you'd say that there was a strong push for better pay for them? Absolutely. Journalists in the state media were not paid lower than all other public servants. You will recall that state media is a public institution. And so when the salary levels are set in public institutions, it affects them um, as well. You work in a private organization. If you guys are making excessive profits and you are getting a bonus, if my colleagues in state media are making losses, mm -hmm. they will not get that same bonus, but they will not be paid lower than what all other public servants are earning. Mm -hmm. I acknowledge that public service pay something that we need to continuously work on improving, but they were not paid lower than public service workers. Mm -hmm. Well, right to information was passed, but concerns have been raised also about its effectiveness and then also um, the smooth operation of this uh, particular law amongst others. What would you say um, in terms of uh, the effectiveness of the RTI since it was passed? At least you saw it passed. I was, I was humbled to have the opportunity to move the motion for the third reading of the bill because I've been involved in the advocacy for it to be passed. When it was passed, it fell on me to lead the execution. We set up the Right to Information Commission Today, it's, if I dare say, one of the best-performing public institutions in the country, um, ensuring that when you make a request and you're not comfortable with the response that you get, mm -hmm. they adjudicate and issue instructions that that information should be released to you. And where public officers, including ministers of state, refused to release information, we backed the Right to Information Commission to find the ministers of state. I mean, I don't know... Um, what more we could have done beyond that? In the um, delivery of the information, we set up the access to information division, recruited and trained over, I think, over 400 RTI officers and designated others across public institutions in the country and asked people to go out there and apply for the information. And if you don't like the response, then you go to the RTI commission. They've also done a human job. We went to Parliament every year to report to Parliament on the implementation of the Act. There are many laws that are passed in this country, and the ministers responsible for them don't go to Parliament to report on how the Act is being implemented. I was in Parliament every year reporting to Parliament on the implementation of the Act. And beyond the mandatory parliamentary reportage, at the end of the year, we introduced an annual forum to update the general public and even take questions. We held the last one at Alisa. Uh, I know at the British Council, I think it was moderated by uh, Samson, if I recall. And so RTI implementation, I think, has gone very well. There's a lot more we have to do. We've now built an online records management system so that somebody can sit in Tumu and apply online and make the payment online and get the information online without having to physically visit an office and interface. And that's the next level that we're hoping will be implemented. Mm -hmm. The RTI Commission is also now opened an office in the middle belt of the country and we'll be opening a third one in the northern belt of the country so that their services can be more accessible. And again, I think that in the area of RTI, we did our best. Okay. We'll come to the issue about the broadcasting bill, but one issue that I'm hoping to um, take your thoughts on uh, as a former, you know, as a show host, amongst others also, when you were here, is the issue about um, the inability to have access to the police in terms of, as it used to be, you know, that you used to have access um, to the police at the various levels to speak to once there's an issue. But now it's not the case. You don't get to speak to the police until there's a statement that is issued as and when in terms of controlled information. Um, you've been at the information ministry, at least you've sat where we are sitting today. 
what do you think about this new uh, position that the police or the IGP is now implementing as we speak? We've heard from our colleagues raise concerns about it. What's your thoughts on it now that you're leaving the information ministry? Besides, look at it from the side of the media. What do the media want? The media want that they can call a police commander and say, we have heard that this is what has happened. Give us information. And the police commander will give them information there and then so that they can make their news, inform the public, sell adverts, and make money. That's what the media wants. What do the police want? The police want to be able to um, have a tidier approach to managing things on the ground. There have been many instances in which the police on the ground, left on their own, without any supervision from the top, mess up a lot of things. Today, what um, IGP Dampare is doing is that on some major matters, he dispatches a team from Accra to come on the ground to come and assist. So that the local police is not left uh, of their own devices and sometimes uh, found wanting. In addition to that, he says that he wants the communication associated with that not to be denied the media, but to be managed from the teams in Accra that have come um, down to assist. And there have been many instances. The recent one, I think, being Jirapa, yeah. where a good friend was murdered. Traditionally, at first, you find the local police trying with their own devices. We've all seen instances where local police come and sometimes they themselves will touch things and fingerprints will be compromised, etc. Today, he dispatches a crack team from CID to come in and come and assist. And as part of that, they, uh, they also come with communication associated with it and will issue a statement very quickly. Some media persons are unhappy with the fact that they can't get a local police commander to give them information there, and you can understand it. But also look at it from the police point of view. They want to bring some more professionalism to bear on what they are doing. I want to believe that as they go forward and as the local police commands see the standard that the national command wants to establish, some more room will be made available for local commands to take some more um, uh, um, autonomous, may I say, room in doing commentary. But I think at this stage, what the IGP is doing is trying to standardize some things in the police service. And for all of us who complain that this thing is not working in this country, this thing is not working in this country, we should rather applaud the IGP for trying to bring some higher standards to bear at the local level. But again, yes, we should make the point that when those standards are established, the local police should be allowed to now pick up from those standards and implement. Should that standardization remain to the extent that even at the national level, you're not getting anyone to speak and except you get statements from their, uh, you know, social media platforms. But going into an election at this point, you think that that standard should remain? I've said that as that standard has been implemented, it will be important to, at a point, empower the local police so that they can do that. And the earlier they do that, the better. Okay. Broadcasting bill. Um, we, we couldn't see the passage the last time in Parliament. Are you hopeful that this time it will happen at least? You're leaving there, your, your um, party will take over from you and all that. But do you foresee it, you know, being passed? Yeah, we, 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 I, I, you know, um, in my handing over notes, I copiously um, give an update of where we are on the broadcasting. The broadcasting bill was overtaken by events. Mm-hmm. The initial draft of the broadcasting bill, if you speak to any expert, was a bill that was drafted to, um, as it were, solve a conflict between the National Media Commission and the National Communication Authority. That's the truth. Uh, there was a bill funded by CSOs and, you know, other international bodies um, designed to help solve a conflict and pull 
a bit of power to the National Media Commission for the National Communication Authority. And so it did not deal with some of the major issues that you want dealt with, actually, when it comes to broadcasting, something like broadcasting standards. Mm -hmm. It also did not deal with new technologies. So in the old draft, when you say broadcasting, it just referred to radio and television. It didn't include um, OTP. It didn't include online. So um, tonight, there are people who are watching us online. online. In the old draft of the broadcasting bill, the rules were applied to whatever we see on radio and TV. And not on social but media. But the same content, the same content, if it's piped on social media, the rules will not apply. So if you reverse, people could do things, and today people do things on social media, which traditional radio and TV will not be allowed to carry. So you have to now address all of these issues, and uh, in particular, the fact that the broadcasting bill deals with the right to free expression, you need to do a lot of consultation. I didn't want a situation where, you know, you go and lay it in Parliament and this one say, I've not been consulted, I've not been consulted. So we spent a lot of time doing consultations. Thankfully, we were able to get views together and send it to the AG for an updated draft, and the AG finished work on it. And um, I think I mentioned at one of our last public forums that I'm looking forward, or I was looking forward to laying it within this meeting in Parliament. It's one of the things I've handed over to Fatih. Um, I respect the right that you know she as minister will have to go through it and satisfy herself that it is ready to go to Parliament under her imprimatur, under her signature. Um, and if she's not satisfied and wants to do some further work on it, that will be fine. Uh, but um, what we have done, um, we have handed over to her. Okay. Well, um, I'm happy you talked about the three things, the three key things that um, the president wants you to take up once you go to the Works and Housing Ministry. But I know that the Information Ministry, for instance, was part of that interministerial committee to address uh, the Volterdam spillage, um, for instance. Uh, we've seen that at least the MP and some private persons have been able to put up um, some facility uh, for those who were displaced. We're told that government is still looking for land amongst others. What really is the briefing that you have when it comes to uh, this particular interministerial committee and why uh, we haven't had anything uh, for most of the persons who are displaced in terms of a facility, a decent facility for them? I think um, the brief I had was that the intervention was in about three parts. Part one was to evacuate people to safety. Part two was that the people who have been evacuated to safety have to be assisted. Food, medicine, uh, beddings, nets, etc., etc. And then part three was to help people return to their homes when homes have been assessed and declared as safe for them to go back into. To the best of my knowledge, the evacuation exercise was successful. There was a lot of misinformation around the time. And one of the things that really hurts my heart is that when the public is misinformed and the truth comes out, our colleagues in the media and the people responsible for the misinformation pretend they haven't seen that what happened was misinformation. So you recall, for example, when the military was moving from one area to the other, one of our colleagues in parliament came out with news that the military had been asked to withdraw, which was not true. They were moving from one place to the other. But that evacuation exercise, eventually, as they move from places to places, was successful. Number two, the NADMO, etc., provided a lot of relief items. 
And the private sector, led by the media, did a fantastic job of complementing that, also by mobilizing a lot of relief items for people. Number three, when the water levels receded and it was deemed as safe, the brief I had was that the majority of the people were returned uh, or were given the all clear to return to their homes. And homes that needed some sort of maybe fumigation or something got a bit of help for them to go back. The question you are asking is about whether or not some persons need to be settled or resettled elsewhere. Exactly. I don't have they a lost their yeah. home entirely. Most of them, we are told, at least yeah. from what we I don't have a brief on how many, or I didn't get a brief on how many people needed to be resettled and where and what um, was going to be done for them. I believe that um, the Honorable Fatih, who is um, uh, taking over, when the inter- interministerial committee is um, reconvened and the briefs are provided, she'll be able to get a brief on where they are now. Okay. Drainage. Uh, we know in just some few months, um, depending on uh, the climate, if there is no change, we know that by June um, going, we'll start having the... If there's no change in the climate change. Yeah, yes, if there's no change in the climate change, we'll see, some, we'll see um, the rains on, come in earlier, or we'll, we're expecting it in June, for instance. So what exactly are you doing differently? At least we've seen people come and go at the Works and Housing Ministry, and, this, and the problem um, still is there, really. What are you doing differently? Um, tomorrow morning is when I start work at the ministry. Uh, then I'll get a full brief on what they are doing now and how successful or unsuccessful it is and what the alternatives are. And then with my technical advisors, we'll be able to make some decisions on the way forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll plead with you to grant me a couple of weeks to start and to get the full briefs uh, and to know the alternatives that are available so that uh, whatever decisions we make, I'll be able to share them with you. And as you go to office tomorrow, already uh, our people uh, in the Keta and its environs have already started experiencing that perennial situation, uh, the tidal waves amongst others. I, I'm sure that um, they've started briefing you on the situation. Is it high on your agenda as well? The question of sea defense is uh, what came up immediately um, we started getting those um, reports. I've already had um, informal conversations with some of the technical persons um, on that. Uh, I don't have a full brief on it. Tomorrow when I do get in and I receive the handing over notes properly, it will be one of the first things that um, I will want to look at. Okay, so the Blekusu Sea Defense, for instance, at least, um, you'll be taking a look at it and ensure that the people there have some form of relief. In fact, all the Sea Defense projects across the country, I'll be doing a quick review of where we are, which areas need some quick assistance, and then we'll see how to move it. Okay, so you talk about housing. Specific to Agenda 111. Explain further, really, why is it just for the Agenda 111? Um, well, there's a major housing deficit in this country. Yes. It needs to be dealt with. There are various um, things that need to be done to make it easier for uh, more real estate companies to go into housing and affordable housing. One of the priorities right now is that um, 111 district hospitals are being built. Mm-hmm. Each one is going to recruit between 200 and 400 staff, if I'm correct with my numbers will be working there. And in many of these districts, they don't have enough accommodation for them. The original agenda, one-on-one design, has some basic housing associated with it. But that basic housing cannot accommodate the 200 to about 400 people who will be working there. So it is important to ensure that the agenda, one-on-one projects that we intend to make fully operational this year, this year, not all 111 will be fully operational. 
um, completion will be achieved, but some will be opened up for work. The ones that we're going to open up for work this year, the president has asked that we quickly move to explore how we can augment the housing arrangements so that uh, the staff, the hundreds of staff will be moving in there, will have a place um, to call their abode and be able to serve the people in the various districts across the country. Mm. Well, whilst you look at that specifically, so I was asking, um, you've talked about the housing deficit amongst others, and the ones that are in place and how expensive it is, it's not affordable at all, even though it's supposed to be affordable. Um, we know there was a rent assist that was introduced amongst others, but people want to hear what exactly the plan will be for the ordinary person, those are not within this Agenda 111 vicinity. You have a plan for them? Affordable housing. So first of all, the state housing company um, under... Um, the Honorable Atachia and uh, Francis Asensu-Buache has done a very good job. They've actually developed quite a number of um, properties under the state housing regime. And then they're also doing a number of affordable housing projects. Mm-hmm. The challenge with affordable housing is uh, about partly getting unencumbered and serviced land for the real estate developers. If the real estate developers have to acquire the land themselves and provide roads and water and electricity access themselves, in the end, the final cost of that property is not affordable if you say, I mean, even if you call it affordable housing. So part of the challenge has been how does the state come in to help provide the land and the roads and the services that make it easier for real estate developers to go in and then uh, to develop. The other part is also what technology are they using for the construction so that in the end, the, 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 the property that is there is not necessarily as expensive as uh, other properties uh, elsewhere. And then I think, thirdly, people are asking what sort of financing or market mechanism is available for me to access if I want to even buy one of these uh, uh, properties. There are questions that have been answered partly, for example, with the uh, uh, Siyama Samad affordable housing Exactly. And with the view is not affordable at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I intend to visit it and see the progress of work. Um, that is being done. This morning, I had a meeting with um, the managing director of the state housing company to give me some more information on how they've been trying to answer those questions, even before I go into the ministry to get a full brief. Um, I'm hopeful that when I get there, I get a full brief and I get the alternatives that are available, listening to the experts, etc. We'll be able to provide some more answers. So what are your matching orders for the Saglemi, controversial Saglemi housing project? to operationalize it, to give it to a private investor, what exactly is it? Or to give it to the military, as has been suggested, or displaced uh, residents? What exactly are the marching orders from the president's instructions to me, if I can remember the words he used, explore how to resolve it quickly. Mm. And what ways are you going to explore how to resolve it? Well, so I'm going to sit with the, the persons who are responsible for it and get a brief. I had a brief, general brief when I was in cabinet, uh, of um, what had gone on. What had gone on was, and let me use a hypothetical, money was voted and borrowed for Saglemi. Let me use a figure. Let's say um, $500 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a hypothetical number. For about 500 units at Saglemi. The money was, the brief I had was that the money was paid out, the $500 million was paid out, but only, let's say, about 150 units had been completed. And the uh, auxiliary services that needed to be done, electricity, water, and all of the other things that needed to be done, including the furnishing of those 150 units, had not been completed. 
So as it sits now, even the units that were is it 80, 90% completed mm -hmm. were not habitable. And then the auxiliary services that had to come in had also not been done. Meanwhile, the monies that had been borrowed had been paid out for it. So if you did a per unit costing, it is no longer affordable today. You have options. Do you find more money? You spend more money to try to finish it and then make it available. And if you did, would it be something that can be sold on the market or be used for rental? Okay. Or do you invite private capital to come in and take it as is and try to finish it? And if they did, are you going to sell at a combination of the old money plus the new money? That would be even more expensive. Are you, if you say you're giving it to the military, do you have the money to finish it for the military? Or if you say, maybe as is now, invite private people to come and take up and finish on their own as is now. Mm -hmm. So there are various options that have been proposed. As I mentioned, I start to work on Monday. I look forward to receiving the full briefs on it. And with the help of the technical advisors, we will make the right decisions and move forward mm -hmm. accordingly. These are three huge tasks that you've been given uh, by your employer. Really, with just about 10 months to go, do you think you have enough time to be able to find the solutions to these three huge problems that you've been given? As long as I help we'll do our best in the period. Is 10 months enough for you to be able to do that? We'll do our best in the period. Are you inheriting in the NEMA facelift promise that was given? At least you're inheriting it, but are you taking it up? Is it going um, to be a possibility? Is it going to happen? Things that, in the three things that I just mentioned to you, the president spoke to me about, I, I, I respectfully don't recall him mentioning that as well. Mm. So that's not something that's on your table, at least. It's not something you're looking at. My primary attention will be to deliver the three things the president has asked me to. And then, time allowing, look at all of the other things that the ministry is working on. Mm. Well, it looks like your job at the Works and Housing Ministry is also going to be very tough. You're ready. I have gray hair already. When I'm not shaking my beard, you see a lot of gray hair. Um, I don't know. Maybe by the time I'll be done with that one, I'll have gray hair all over here as well. But we'll do our best. Well, we'll leave it here for now. But uh, we are getting ready for election headquarters launch tomorrow. And uh, you've been here before, at least. Uh, maybe you have a, a good word message for us um, just before we let you off. Um, I recall Atoko Aminadazi and myself coining the name election headquarters and actually even selecting the signature tune that is played. And anytime I hear it, um, I have nostalgia from the 2008 elections when um, we coined it. I know that Multimedia has done a brilliant job over the years on election reporting. The standard has always been stick to the facts, verify the numbers before we tell the public. And I expect nothing less. I know you do a stellar job. Information Minister, no. Works and Housing Minister Kujo Ofogoma, thank you so much uh, for your time here on the probe, and uh, I'm sure we'll get to talk again once um, you settle at the new ministry. We are grateful for your time here on the probe. Let me take advantage of your platform to thank all my colleagues in the media for the help that you gave me. It was a difficult run. If I offended anybody, it wasn't personal. Um, do forgive me. And please extend the same courtesies to Fatih. She will do a fantastic job. Thank you. And that's how we wrap up tonight's edition of The Probe here on the Joy News Channel. Also on Joy 99.7 FM. For our radio audience, The Walk of Jesus is up next. And Melody Josu takes over your waves on the Joy News Channel. I am MFA Apau. Have a good evening.